through much of the chapter, although the chapter is very full and we won't be able to consider everything, but I want to focus our attention in particular right now on verse 25. John 9, verse 25, especially the second part. These words. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. And so we'd like to consider the Lord's word this morning about how the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. And before I get into the, the points, I think it's, it's worth pausing for a moment to consider the context in which we find this story. John, as you, as you know, is one of the four Gospels. And John, in, in particular, seems, seems focused on proving the deity of Christ. Each Gospel has a, a slightly different focus, slightly different emphasis. Of course, each of the Gospels, the entire Bible, is designed to draw us to the, to the Lord. But John, in particular, his, his emphasis seems to be on showing that, that Christ, Jesus Christ, is the Son of God. And John does that by focusing on particular events, particular miracles that really establish Jesus' deity, and on particular conversations, particular statements that Jesus made. So in John, for example, we find the seven I am statements. I suspect many of you could re- probably recite all of them, but I am, the, I am the door, for example. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In our chapter today, we find a different one. We find the statement, I am the light of the world. And in addition to one of the I am statements, we find a miracle that corresponds quite directly with Jesus' statement. He says, I am the light of the world, and he opens the eyes of a man that was born blind. He shines light into a blind man's eyes. So this, this chapter in particular is quite a special one in that it contains an I am statement, and a miracle. And, of course, like I said, we, we can't focus on, on every, we can't draw out every detail of this chapter, but we can focus this morning in particular on Jesus' act of opening the eyes of the blind, and not just his physical act of opening the eyes of one born blind. If that was all we were here for today, there wouldn't be much reason to be here. But the Lord not only opens the eyes of this man physically, but he teaches us how he also opens the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. And of course, we we always have to be a little bit careful. We can't take every story and turn it into a rule for life. Maybe you've heard that phrase, you cannot take every narrative, every story, and turn it into a normative, a rule. But none of God's word is, is superfluous, none of it is without a purpose. And in this case, the Lord quite clearly tells us himself that his purpose in opening the physical eyes of this man is to teach us about how he also opens the eyes of, one, of those who are born spiritually blind. He says this actually in verse, in verse 3. He said, This man was born blind that the works of God might be made manifest, open, revealed. The works of God, not just the work, not just his work in the physical realm, but that the works of God. And children, I I suspect that sometimes it's a little bit hard when you hear parents or ministers talk about spiritual eyes and eyes of faith to see Jesus. 
And maybe you think, I can't see Jesus. What do they really mean when they say that they're blind? Well, I'm hoping that this this story this morning is something that you can follow. This story illustrates what, what your parents and what your ministers and consistory members are talking about. Here we'll see how someone who was born blind physically, but also spiritually, has his eyes opened. It means he's given understanding. He's given the ability to see God for who he is. He's given faith. That's very simply what what we mean when we say that one's eyes are opened spiritually. They're given faith. So I hope you can follow. can follow us this morning. Under the theme of God gives sight to the blind. God gives sight to the blind. Three points. Blind from birth. Given sight. Resulting in worship. I hope you can remember them. Blind from birth. This man was blind from birth. He was given sight, resulting in worship. So we start with the the first point, really the first verse. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. The story begins really where every story of salvation begins, with one who is born blind. It's a necessary starting point for our sermon this morning. It's a necessary starting point for our text. None of the story would make sense if we didn't understand that this man was blind. And the same is true, really, for all of God's word, for the gospel in particular. Because what value is it to have one who has come to be the light of the world, to open the eyes of the blind, if we fail to see and acknowledge that each one of us is born blind? Maybe that's a simple point, you say, but, but really is it? Because who among us can say, I know that I am blind, I know that I was blind? It's easy maybe to say in words, but how easy is it to really see it, to really acknowledge it, to have to confess that I, that I am blind by nature to the things of God, that I am blind to the realities of sin, that I am blind to the realities of, of God's Son. And maybe, maybe that's, not, maybe that's not your struggle. But maybe it is. There's many, it's sometimes surprising to me how many people you run into who, who argue against this simple point that men are blind from birth. The Bible clearly says it. David says in Psalm 51 that, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. He's acknowledging from the very moment of his conception that he was formed in sin. And I think parents too can see from experience that at the youngest age, a child soon begins to exhibit selfishness and anger and disobedience. So we can see it ourselves from the youngest age that, that men are born as sinners. We are created as sinners. Not initially. God created us perfectly. He created us with a perfect knowledge of who he is, but we fell. And ever since then, each one of us has been born in the same way, spiritually blind. And unless stopped by God, that blindness just grows. The sin continues. It grows unabated. And of course, you could just look around us to see that point proven. If you just look at the headlines today, what is it other than war Death, a 
adultery, covetousness, greed. It's what our world thrives on. It's what our world thrives on. And all over this world, too, we can see, we can see signs of, of this spiritual blindness in how men worship images. Throughout the Bible, there's numerous examples of how, how even the Israelites, those who were taught of God, turned again and again to, to make images and dumb idols that could not speak or see. And even in much of, it's, it's less common today in our part of the world, but much of Africa, parts of Asia, we still see a lot of evidence of idol worship, of image worship. In our part of the world, it's something a little different. We, uh, we worship ourselves. We, we say God is dead. It was a statement made by a German philosopher in the 1800s. God is dead. And we, we've turned to science, to atheism, but it just results in the worship of ourselves. And that's quite clear again if you just look at the headlines. Man is lifted up as the end-all and be-all. There is no sight of God. There's no conception, really, of who God is. And this is really in spite of the fact that God has testified of who he is in his word and even in nature. In Romans 1, we read that God has quite clearly manifested himself even to those without, without the Bible and nature. Science, logic, human reason, all these things testify to us that there is and must be a God and that this God must have revealed himself. And yet we go on as if he doesn't exist. And many, many in our society today openly claim he doesn't exist. Now obviously I'm speaking to a group of, a group of people who are in the Reformed churches. Perhaps you grew up like I did in the Reformed churches. So you would never think, or at least admit, that you think God is, is dead. But do you live that way? Do you live for yourself? Do you live as if he was watching you, as if he was right in front of you, as if he was in every room in which you are? What did you do last night? What did you do on Friday? Did you live as if God was watching you? Did you live for yourself? Did you live for your friends, for the things of time and sense? I suspect that if you, like me, young people, it's exactly what you did. You came to church on Sunday, didn't really listen, didn't really care, and you lived for the world. You lived for time and sense. You were spiritually blind. Because I assure you, when God begins to open your eyes, that will all change. You will not be able to go on as if sin was something to be trifled with. And so I, I agree that this is a, is a simple point to start with. Men are born blind. And sometimes we don't, we don't always like to hear it. We like to, we like to skip over this fact. But even children of God, do we not have to admit time and again how often we live for the things of this world? How often we almost seem to close our eyes to the reality of God and who he is and what he has done. It is, it is a simple point, but it is one we must keep coming back to. We read in the Bible, do not fear to look at the pit from whence you were digged or the rock from whence you were hewn. This isn't to lift up the sinner. A sinner, even one whose eyes are opened, is still a sinner. Salvation is only in Christ. Salvation is not, not even in realizing you are a sinner. But it is important to confess that to repent daily 
to confess our blindness to God and ask him to open our eyes more and more, to give us eyes to see him day by day. And hopefully that is why we're all here today. I know a lot of us have come to church out of custom, and I I understand that feeling. But the Lord can speak one word from, from his word from this sermon and change everything. So let us pray. Let us pray as this, as this sermon continues that the Lord would speak. It doesn't have to be something new or novel. Many of you know this story backwards and forwards. I think if you grew up again in, in a Reformed church, in a Reformed school, or maybe a homeschool community, you grew up reading these words. You know the story. But the Lord can still take a simple word from this story and open your eyes. And so men are indeed born spiritually blind. And yet this is whom the Lord has deemed to save. And we see evidence of that in in our chapter. He begins as one spiritually blind, but the Lord doesn't leave a sinner in spiritual blindness. When the Lord begins to work, he opens their eyes. And what a, what a blessed truth that is, that there is hope, that there is a God who can and is willing to open your eyes. And that brings us really to our second point, given sight by Jesus. Those who are spiritually blind are given sight by Jesus. And the man says in our text verse, I once was blind, but now I see. And what can we learn about how Jesus opens this man's eyes? This man's eyes. Each detail here is, is worth examining. The Lord works in, in many different ways, and his miracles are, are varied. The way he performs them are varied, and we can learn a lot by examining them. And in this case, this isn't the only time that he's opened a blind man's eyes. But in this case, what does the Lord do? He spits on the ground. He spits on the ground and makes clay, or like a mud, with the dust and with the spittle. And he anoints, or puts it on, the blind man's eyes. And some have, have rightly noted that if you think about this for just a second, isn't it more likely that making clay from, from spit and from dust and putting that on a person's eyes is more likely to make a seeing man blind than a blind man seen? Humanly, this makes no sense at all. None at all. But what can we learn from this? And, and I think one thing we can clearly learn is that the Lord often works in ways that are contrary to human reason, to human expectation. And that obviously isn't just the case with the miracle. This is, this is a broader application now. The Lord works salvation in a way that doesn't make any sense to us. From day one, at least where I grew up, and I'm sure it's the same thing here, you grew up learning to stand on your own two feet, to trust your reason, to trust your abilities, to work hard, and you'll make your way in life. And yet, the Lord, when he saves a person, really requires a complete surrender, a complete abandonment of your own strength, of your own reason. You find it, for example, in Isaiah 55 quite clearly. Verses 6 through 9. I'll just read it for you. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord 
and he will have mercy upon him, for he will abundantly pardon. That's salvation. Turning unto the Lord. As a wicked person, as an unrighteous person, the Lord says, you can turn unto me, and I will save you. And then right after that, the Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The Lord tells us right there, he acknowledges and, and deals with the fact that the way of salvation to, to us, to, to men, to women, to children, is, is not a way that is re, we would expect. It's a way that's contrary to what we would expect. It's something that's hard for us to understand, and it's even harder for us to just surrender everything and turn unto the Lord for salvation as a completely helpless person. Sometimes I think about the story of, of the, uh, the Israelites when they were bitten by the, the vipers in the desert. Remember that story, children? When the, when the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness, they complained, and the Lord sent, he sent poisonous snakes, and, he, and they started to bite the people. The people started to die. And what was the method of healing? Do you remember this? The Israelite leader, Moses and Aaron, they had to make a brazen serpent and hold it up on a stick. They had to hold it high up. And they said, look on the stick and you'll be healed. And isn't it amazing how many people didn't look? They turned their eyes away. They kept them closed. And they preferred to die because they didn't believe that this would work. It's the same thing spiritually. We, the Lord works in ways that are hard for us to believe, hard for us to imagine. We don't believe that if we just look to him, if we just turn to him, he would have mercy upon us. But that's exactly what he promises. But it isn't just with respect to salvation that the Lord works in contrary ways. He also does this with sanctification. How often, children of God, do, do we find ourselves in trials and tribulations and difficulties that we would never expect how often do we see these things and, and really do our, do our spirits not groan within us? We say, how is this happening? How can good come of this? You pray for faith and the Lord gives cancer. I know one person that experienced that directly. Prayed for faith and the Lord gave cancer. You say, how, how does this increase my faith? You pray to see more of Christ and he sends another tribulation, another difficulty. And yet at the end of, the end of all these things, it is true that we will be able to say, and maybe you can already say this sometimes, that it was good for me to be afflicted. Even though at the time it made no sense at all, I could not see how the Lord would use this for my good. And yet, now I can see it was good. For the Lord is good, and he doeth good. I think of the prodigal son. How could it have been good that this prodigal son wanted to take his father's wealth and go spend it foolishly? I'm sure that father must have groaned. He must have, he must have wondered, how could it be that this will turn out for good? And yet, what happens? The son is, the son is brought to see. It actually says about how his eyes were opened to see his foolishness. And he goes back to his father. And what a, what a joyful day that was. And if he had never left, if he had never left, he never would have had that experience. He never would have been turned in that way. And you can see something of that in the elder son, the older son. He was ungrateful. So it's true that the Lord works in ways contrary, contrary ways, unexpected ways, both with respect to salvation 
and with respect to sanctification. And that's something that we should really try to take to heart and be encouraged by, especially in those times when we still don't see the light, when we still don't understand how this could all work out. Trust the Lord. He put clay made from his spit on a blind man's eyes and told him to go wash. I assure you that that man must have been confused. And yet he went. He had faith to go. And I think at the end of it, even if you can't see it now, you will be able to confess as David did in Psalm 25. All the ways, all the, tr- all the ways of the Lord are good. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant. And there's one other point to learn about how this man was healed. He was sent to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And it was the Sabbath day. And so maybe from some of the other miracles you remember that the Pharisees and the Jews wouldn't permit such work on the Sabbath day. And as you'll see later in the chapter, the man, after he defends the work that was done, after he defends Jesus, was actually excommunicated. He was kicked out of the synagogue. That wasn't, that wasn't a case where they just said, you need to leave. That was an excommunication. That was a big deal in the Jewish community. That was... That was everything. That was your social circle. That was your standing in the community. If you were put out of the synagogue, you were no different than a Gentile. And so this man must have known when Jesus said, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, that this would raise, this would raise problems with the Jews. And yet, we see he went. And what is the Lord teaching him from that very first moment when he starts working in his life? Other than the need to follow Christ and his commands over the commands, the pressures of men. That's a hard thing to do sometimes, especially when you find yourself drawn in by the wrong crowd or drawn in by friends who want nothing to do with, with religion or perhaps attracted to, a, attracted to a career that you know will take you away from church or attracted to a boyfriend, a girlfriend who wants nothing to do with church. And yet when the Lord, the Lord calls how important it is to obey his commands. What would have happened if this man didn't go? He'd still be blind. And yet from the very beginning then, the Lord is teaching him, you need to follow me. Elsewhere in John we read, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So that's another thing we can learn from the way this man's eyes were opened and it's something that, that we can see that we can see in the way the Lord works today. He teaches us, no matter how difficult it is, that we must follow His commands. Whoso loveth father or mother, brothers or sisters, lands, monies, possessions, more than me is not worthy of me. So that's a question each one of us really should be asking ourselves. Are we following the commands of the Lord in spite of the pressures to the contrary? Or are we not? Are we finding a way to try to fit the two together? Are we trying to serve both God and mammon? Or are we following the Lord's commands? Well, the result of all this is the title of our second point. The man was given eyes to see. A man named Jesus said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and I washed and I received sight. But is this the only event that followed from, from Jesus' commands? And of course, the answer is no. We see it causes a huge uproar in the Jewish community. The Pharisees meet, 
And they question the man, they question his neighbors, they question his parents, trying to figure out what's happening. And ultimately, as I mentioned earlier, the man was, was excommunicated. But there's more than that. We see evidence that this man's eyes of faith are being opened. The Lord is not just working physically, he's working spiritually. And you see this man, you see a progression really in the way that the man born blind is given faith. At first, all he can really say is, my eyes were opened. This man named Jesus told me to go. And I went, my eyes were opened. And then a little bit later, in verse 17, we see that when they ask him, who, who is this man? He says, well, he's a prophet. Now that's already something. Right? The Jews didn't get that far. The Pharisees stopped before they got there. This man is saying he's a prophet. By saying he's a prophet, he's admitting that Jesus is of God. He's at least someone sent by God. He's not yet saying that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. But he is saying that this man that healed me is someone from God. And then in verse 25, we get to, that's our text verse, which really encapsulates the sermon. They, they push him again and again. And, and in verse 25, the Jews, say, the Jews say, confess that this man is a sinner. Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And now what do you see him say? It says in verse 25, he answered, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. And we shouldn't here take this as a possible admission that Jesus might be a sinner. He's saying, I have no evidence of it. If he is a sinner or not, I, I have no evidence of that. I don't have any evidence to believe he is a sinner. But what do we know? What do I know? One thing I know. That whereas I was blind, now I see. So he still isn't proclaiming that God is, that, sorry, that Jesus is God, but he's quite clearly pointing to the fact that Jesus is of God. Again, it seems to be a deeper knowledge because now he's making a personal argument. And, and we see that argument develop a bit in the, in the succeeding verses where they ask him again and, and he starts to defend him. He says, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. We've never heard of a man's eyes being opened who was blind from birth. This man is not just a man. He is clearly of God. And one thing that, that must that must have been going through everyone's minds at this point is the verses in Isaiah. In Isaiah, we read that when the Messiah would come, Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, when Christ would come, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. He's pointing to something by, by making this personal testimony. He's giving a personal testimony and saying that I have been changed through and through. You cannot tell me that that is not the work of God. And I think it's again worth pausing here and, and asking ourselves, have we ever given a testimony like that? Sometimes we give our testimony about how the Lord works and it's all about us. But have you ever defended the work of the Lord, lifted that up as the Lord's work in the face of opposition like this? This man knew he was, he was in trouble with the Pharisees. There's no question about it. And yet he is willing to testify of the Lord's work. That is, that is something that's really difficult for us to do. And yet the Lord clearly blesses it. And you see this, this man's eyes being opened further and further. But I also want to pause for a moment 
and verse 25 and consider a little bit more what he said. All he is really saying in that statement is, I once was blind, but now I see. And obviously, as I said, he's, he's pointing to the fact that this is the work of the Lord. But there's, there's something deeper about that statement that I think many children of God at some point or another can relate to. And it's especially true for, for newer children of God, people whose eyes the Lord are just opening or who have recently opened, who find themselves quite confused, who have a hard time perhaps believing that God is working in them. Or even with more experienced children of God who have, who have been on the path for quite some time, when they come under heavy temptation, heavy trial, heavy loss, there is often a time where they all, all that they can say is that whereas I once was blind, now I see. I can't say much else than I was once blind, but now I see. And maybe, maybe, that, doesn't, maybe that doesn't relate to you. Maybe from, from the earliest time, the Lord has given you a strong faith. Maybe you haven't had temptations where you have begun to question everything. And maybe the Lord has just led you in a path that so far has been peace. And I do want to be clear that merely, again, seeing that you're a sinner is not enough. Having your eyes open to sin is not enough. You're either converted or unconverted. You either have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or you don't. But it is true for many children of God that there are times when they can't say much else other than, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind to the reality of sin in God. And no, I can't claim that Christ is my Savior right now. I can't, I, don't, I can't dare to say it even. But I do see, I do see that I am a sinner, that Christ is a Savior, a Savior of sinners. And to those who cannot relate, be, be thankful that the Lord has given you strong faith. But don't use your strong faith as a club to beat down the weaker believers. Use this as an encouragement. The Lord is working. If you can see, the Lord is working. And I hope this speaks to someone listening today, maybe here, maybe online. But if you can see, if you see sin for what it is, if you see the gospel for what the gospel is, the Lord is working. And he will not leave the work of his hands unfinished. He will continue that work. Whether you're new to all of this, whether this is all new to you, or whether there was a time when you could say, the Lord is my Savior. I love the Lord, and the Lord loves me. And now you're in darkness, or like I said, whether you're new. Be comforted by the fact that there are times when all you can say is, whereas I was once blind, now I see. And my, my advice to those in that situation is, is simply the same advice we find this man following here. Follow the Lord's leading. Obey his commands. Trust in the Lord. Believe that he will bring you through whatever darkness you are going through, whatever difficulty you find yourself in. Plead on this promise that the Lord opens the eyes of the blind and ask him to give you more light. And we, we do see this in the, the life of, of this man in John 9. Obviously, when Jesus first opened his eyes physically, he, had, he couldn't see what was happening. He couldn't really understand it. He, he just felt Jesus putting clay on his eyes, telling him to go wash. And after he did that, his eyes were opened, but he hadn't seen Jesus. 
And then over time, over time, as we've seen this progression, he's able to, say, he's able to see more and more of who the Lord is, of who, of who Jesus is. But even, even on this third time, in verse, in verse 25, he still can't explain exactly how it happened. And, of course, this, as I said, is how we often find the Lord working at a diff- in, in the way of grace. His, his way of working in individuals varies. Some, some go fast, some slow, but that is the way the Lord works. But at the end of it, of course, the Lord does fully reveal himself. He does, at the end of our chapter, find the man in verse 35 and say, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And what is, what is the man's response? His response is, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? So now we see that the man is willing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is searching for him. That's very different than how we find him at the beginning of the chapter, not even asking for Jesus. Now he is willing. He says, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And that, of course, is where the Lord reveals himself. But do you find yourself asking that question today? Is there anyone here who is asking, Who is the Lord? Who is the Son of God? How does this really look? How does this really work? We'll be encouraged then by this man's question and the response. Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And the Lord reveals himself unto him. That's still how he works. Ask the questions in prayer. Bring all your questions to the Lord, and he will reveal himself in time. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And that so clearly the Lord now has revealed himself as the Son of God. But you might ask, wait a moment. How is it that this man could say, how is it that Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee? He hadn't seen him before, had he? He's nowhere mentioned in the chapter before, after the, man, after the man's eyes are, are opened, there's no reference to the man seeing or meeting Jesus again. So how is it that Jesus was saying, you have seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee? And I think that's getting back to the point that the Lord reveals himself progressively. This man clearly was given some faith prior to this point in the Lord Jesus. As we have talked about, he confessed he is a prophet. He could not be a normal man or I could never have had my eyes open. That is clearly a miracle that the Lord worked. And it's a miracle that we read in Isaiah is clearly pointing to the Christ. So I think what Jesus is saying is, is you say, when the man asks, who is he, Lord? Jesus is saying, you already have seen some glimpse. You already have some, had some sight of me. And it is he that talketh with thee. And there's the full revelation to this man of who the Lord Jesus really is to him. And that's the question really then for all of us. Have we seen the Lord Jesus? And children, remember what I said at the beginning. It's not with our physical eyes. And I know that 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 can be confusing. But what we really mean is, have you ever really had faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is your Savior? He is such a willing and able Savior. There's another miracle in, in in John where a leper comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus 
before he healed him, said, I will be thou clean. He is a willing Savior, a Savior who is willing to save even the chief of sinners, as Paul said, to open the eyes of one who is completely blind, who was born blind, who intentionally turns himself or herself away from the Lord and wants nothing to do with him. He is a willing Savior, and he is an able Savior. And if you seek him, ye shall find him. Ask, and it shall be given. Knock, and it shall be opened. And the Lord will reveal himself unto you, just as he revealed himself to this man. It is, thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And what's the result? The end result. How does this man's story end? And that's our third point. It ends in worshiping the Lord. The man says, I believe. And he worshiped him. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And this is the true response for every believer who is given by faith a sight of Christ. What a testimony. What a way to end your story, if you will. That's the last thing we read about this man, as far as we know. That he worshiped the Lord. Is that what will be said about you someday? Is that what your children say about you now, parents or grandparents? Do they look at you and say, that man, that woman, she worshiped the Lord? Or is it quite the opposite? Do your children and young people, your neighbors look at you and and, and, and somewhat recoil. This is a hard person. Or does it end with worshiping the Lord? Faith has many companions. One of them is repentance. One of them demonstrated here is the true worship of God. And hopefully that's, uh, that's how some of you came to church this morning. Hopefully you came to worship the Lord. But even more hopeful is the prayer that we prayed during prayer that we prayed earlier, that you would leave this church worshiping the Lord. For the Lord can reveal himself very quickly if he chooses to. And he is such a willing and able Savior, as we have said. You could have walked into this church completely blind and walk out being able to worship the Lord. I know that seems impossible to many of you. Maybe to many of you it seems even undesirable. But why not pray? Why not ask? Waiting for something to happen, waiting for something to change, isn't going to work. The Lord has given us his word. He's explained to us his revelation. And he says, those that seek me shall find me. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So pray that the Lord here and now, today, would open your eyes and that you would worship him. And of course, it's worth noting here that the chapter continues, just a few verses. It's not, it's the end of this man's story as far as we know, as far as we read, but it's not the end of the Pharisees' story. You can see that they actually mock with the Lord Jesus in the next couple of verses. And actually throughout chapter 10 as well, the story continues between Jesus and the Pharisees. They ask him, are we blind also? The, the, uh, Jesus, Jesus earlier said in verse 39, he says, For judgment I am come into the world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. He's explaining his purpose here. He gives sight to the blind. But those who do not believe, 
those who continually turn away their face will remain blind. And the day will come when it's too late. But here the Pharisees mock with him. They, they say in verse 40, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. Maybe that's a little bit hard to understand, but I think a verse that gives clarity on this is, is this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If we confess our blindness, he is faithful and just to forgive us our blindness, to open our eyes. If we do not confess, then we will remain blind, as he said, as he says to them. And then they, they go on in chapter 10, which we won't get into, but he tells them twice more, very plainly, very openly in chapter 10, that he is the Son of God. And their response is that they actually try to stone him. They try to kill him twice. And Jesus escapes. There's also, it's also worth noticing the, the testimony of the parents. Remember the man born blind, his parents were questioned, and they, they confess, we don't know what is happening, we want nothing to do with it. Ask him. So you see in the chapter that while this man, his eyes are opened, he's given to worship God, there's everyone else in the chapter, as far as we can tell, is hardened. They turn away from the Lord. They close their eyes even tighter if it were possible. And they reject him. They did not see him. And yet here he is, offering himself to all of these people. He would so gladly, as he said in verse 39, uh, in verse and in verse 41, if you were blind, you should have no sin. He's offering to open eyes, and he's offering it again this morning. And the question, the question is, do we see him or do we turn away? Well, it is yet the day of grace. We must have our eyes opened or else we will end up like these Pharisees. They mocked him. In fact, at the end of, end of the gospel, they crucify him. See that really in the phrase that I said earlier today from that German philosopher in the 1800s, God is dead. That's the end. That's the, that's the last thing that will end of, that'll be our last testimony if we continue on in the worship of anything but God. Well, congregation, those are the three points and before we conclude today, I would just like to try to bring this home one more time. Where do you fall today? Where do you, where do you stand before the Lord? Can you say, my beloved is mine and I am his? Can you call him that? Or can you just say, I once was blind, but now I see? It's a message for all of us. It's a message, it's a message for even the experienced children of God. Because really, who sees the Lord like even, even the most experienced child of God, I think, has to confess. I do not see enough of him. I long for clearer sight, for a clearer picture of who the Lord is. In 1 Corinthians 13, I think it's somewhere in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, we now see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. There's a day coming when each one of us will see him. We will have our eyes opened, either here or in judgment. That's one or the other, but someday, someday our eyes will be opened. And for those who do not know him, who do not worship him here, they'll never worship him hereafter. It will be too late. And that day all you will face is terror and judgment. But to those who know the Lord, who have seen him here, who can worship him here, will worship him hereafter. And I, I suspect that some of you may have been thinking of John Newton's hymn, 
at some point during the service. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. There's also the fifth verse. It says, when we've been there 10,000 years, And we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You have to forgive me, but I hope that some of you can feel that same, that same hope, that same emotion. Emotion doesn't save us. Hope doesn't save us, but Jesus does. Jesus saves. He's a willing Savior, worthy, worthy of all our praise. And throughout all eternity, we'll have nothing more glorious to do than worship Him. He's a God of infinite love. Throughout all eternity, we will never come to an end of knowing that love. There will never be a day when we don't worship Him. To those who don't know Him, I know I've said it before, I've said it several times throughout this service, how the Lord is so willing to save. But I can't leave again without exhorting you one more time. This time not with my own words. This time with the the words of the Lord Jesus himself. From Revelation 3.18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Ho, every one that thirsteth, come unto me. That is the Lord's offer. And do you dare turn away from it? Don't hide behind the fact you're blind or unable. The Lord is able. The Lord is willing to give sight to the blind. Amen. Let's pray. Let us seek the Lord's blessing on the